The Stages podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the lands on which our artists and audiences meet. We pay our respect to past, present and emerging elders. We acknowledge the important role that art has played on these lands for thousands of years and feel privileged to work alongside artists continuing the creative practice of one of the oldest surviving cultures in the world. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives... Then the next block further down there was the Royal, then the Prince Edward was right opposite the Royal, then the Savoy. And we used to get fined if you were late for the half hour and fined for misbehaving on stage. Just for God's sake, do it better. <laughs> Sometimes that's all you can say. But when you've gone through that, you do get a lot of ego. And you go out there knowing that the one thing that's different every time is that audience. I didn't wake up until... I was in emergency. I was around the uh, world of actors as a child. Crawfords were needing a casting assistant. No business plan, no concept, no training. It's not something you could do now. Went to school on Friday, got on the bus on Saturday, auditioned for the show. They said, you've got the role. I never went back to school again. (laughs) Thank you. I've enjoyed being here talking about my favourite subject. Ego in check, me. (laughs) Yeah, it's a date. (laughs) It's a date. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to The Stages Podcast. It's always a delight to have your company. Welcome back. A unique episode today. It certainly was a first for me. Well, as far as recording space goes. Uh, While I was recently on the Gold Coast, I caught up with an old mate for breakfast. We'd originally worked together about 20 years ago in one of the great Gary Ginevan's children entertainments. It was Noddy. I played Big Ears and Michael John Herney played the role of Mr Plod. And ever since, that's what we have called each other. So, it was a huge treat to meet up with MJ once again and, as you do, laugh, reminisce and tell some great stories. I don't know why, but I hadn't thought of MJ before as a focus for the Stages podcast. His career has been vast, performing in a number of iconic musicals in Australia, extensive work in the corporate field, and he is one of the country's terrific vocalists. It all became apparent that Michael John must be featured on Stages, and over scrambled eggs, I suggested we record. He was keen, I had my equipment, so we adjourned to my rental car in a side street on the Gold Coast. Now where else would Big Ears and Mr Plod conduct a conversation? Here's my chat with Michael John Herney. One, two, one, two. Getting too excited now. Um, That should be good, I think. All right. Great. Good, good. Um, MJ, it's, it's really lovely to catch up with you again. Thanks, Pete. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic. It's been too long. Just to set the scene for um, for the listener, we've just had a lovely breakfast on the Gold Coast. There mm. goes a the ute. Um, and we've decided, uh, we've been very spontaneous, to record this episode in a car. <laughs> so, <laughs> Much to the suspicions of the neighbours. Of the neighbours <laughs> going by. Um, so it's... Um, it's not carpool karaoke, it's carpool conversations yes. for stages. Indeed. You have had um, a tremendous run uh, in Australian musical theatre over um, a very long time. You've now retired, of course, from, uh, from all of that uh, singing and dancing, all singing mm. and dancing. Um, but it's, it's a wonderful story. I first met you on a Gary Ginevan production of Noddy. That was um, 
what, 97? Late 90s, wasn't it? Yeah, ni- 97. Yeah. yeah, that sounds right. You were um, playing Mr. Plod. Mr. Plod, yes. Hello, and hello. you were big ears. And I was big ears, which was <laughs> fantastic. But, you know, I, I remember hitting it off immediately with you through yeah. a shared love of the business and yes. particularly the characters yeah. who inhabit the, the business and, yeah. and those stories. So many of which I'm sure we'll traverse in this conversation. Sure. But let's go back to the beginning. You're a Sydney boy, aren't you? I am, yeah. yeah. I'm a Westie. A Westie. So a where, Westie. where did you grow up? Western suburbs. Um, Guildford. It's a um, working class area. Um, it was a fantastic place to grow up in. Mm. And with mum and dad and two sisters. And it was, uh, it was some place, though, that I wanted to wanted to get out of right. in some ways it certainly wasn't my kind of place I mean I've got lots of friends that I'm still in touch with there but I just really wanted to see the world I really wanted to to get out and and try my luck with show business because I'd had a taste of it when I was young um, I st- actually I started as a, a, a teenager I don't know if you know this Pete no um, yeah working as um, a member of the Westfield Super Juniors and uh, I was only like 12. So, um, you know, that was a, a, a taste of show business and while I was still at school and uh, made some lifelong friends there. Um, uh, Mel Robertson and um, uh, the Moy sisters, you might remember them yeah, from you yeah. know, Ray Martin, show, yeah. Midday Show. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've continued to work with them over the years, off and on. So when you talk so, about Westfield, is this performing yeah, in shopping centres? That's right. Yeah. Oh, right. So during school ho- holidays, we yeah. would do the the little tour, the re- you know the the, the Burwood, then Parramatta, and then um, wherever the others are, can't remember now. But um, Miranda, yeah. And we we were learning to to you know we were honing our skills already. You know, and that was more as a sort of singer dancer. Um, but uh, I was. I think I was brought in to, everyone had to sing, but I was a, a, a tap dancer. That was my sort of specialty. So that's, you know, there's a tap solo. Where you go, MJ. Um, <laughs> got thrown in, in the deep end with that. So what were the, the, the cultural influences in Guildford? Were there, were there many? No. Well, what? No. Obviously, it's in your DNA then that you need to perform and express yourself like that. What... What seduced you, or what led you to um, that desire? Yeah, my my beautiful mum, who's uh, about to turn ninety six, amazing, brilliant. Um, she was one of these lovely ladies that um, you know. She wasn't a performer. She wasn't. You know, she's very shy, actually, but she loved theatre. Absolutely loved it. So probably the the first thing I remember, oh, we used to do. Lots of concerts uh, with you know Sandy Scott and um, Little Patty and Jamie Redfern, Johnny Farnham, of course. All names from the past. Love John, yeah, Yeah, yeah. amazing. Um, But yeah, then we we started seeing musicals as I was old, uh, a little bit older. Um, Started seeing, um, well, Gypsy was a massive influence. Hello, Jack Webster. Um, Massive influence on me because I just went, wow. That was nineteen seventy-five. Was it? Yeah, it was. was. Why um, Did you sit with Gloria Dawn or did, Tony Lamont? No, no, with Gloria Dawn. Right, so yeah. that first. Yeah, um, I think I'd already seen Jesus Christ Superstar at that time. 
and um, yeah, that hit me like a ton of bricks. It was amazing. I just, you know, I, I, I understand that phenomenon where people even now refer to, to John English as being this, you know, this performer who, you know, did triple somersaults and, you know, he did a knee slide and a cartwheel. That's all John ever did. But <laughs> it's always been explained as being, you know, much more because of the way it made the audience feel. And I remember feeling that in Superstar, just going, "Bang! This is huge! This is amazing!" And it, and it really, it really got to me. And it was like, "I, I just got to do this. This is, this is me. This is what I do." And I've been learning to dance um, since I was about seven. Um, and that was at your instigation. Did you, you say, "Yeah, well, folks, my, I wanna, my I sister, learn to dance. Yeah, no, my sister, my sister danced." I can do that. Yes, correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently I was shuffling away like while I was sitting down and the teacher said, would you like to join us? Mm. Yep, sure would. And, uh, yeah, that's what I ended up doing. And and uh, after Westfield Super Juniors sort of got into a bit of amateur theatre, um, that was kind of through the dance school and, um, you know, did some lovely amateur versions of shows and really, yeah, that was it. I just thought, no... Nah, this is what I'm going to do as soon as I can leave school because um, I had to finish school I promised dad I would <laughs> he was horrified that I was going into tr- into show business but uh, yeah he uh, was supportive and off I went uh, you, as a, you're leading a <coughs> Particularly normal, uh, no, what's normal? Um, uh, <laughs> yes. for, for, for a young fella, you're you're playing footy at the same time yep. as your dance classes sure was, and yep. being very sporty. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, who who were you? Sport. Who were your um, performing heroes at that stage? I suppose oh, like Farnham. Farnham, and... yeah. God, you know that that guy's just phenomenal, and mm. he's just got the voice. And it's funny because that's how I felt when I was a kid, and now I'm almost a sixty-year-old man, and I'm just going, "Good Lord, he's still my hero. He's mm. still a mentor. Like I listen to him sing and." and the stuff I've learnt I've never tried to copy him but I've I've just learnt lots of things from from you know watching and listening to John Farnham he's an incredible I'm sure he's a great influence on many people um, and an artist who who crossed over to music theatre a couple yeah, of times did, yeah. with um, Pippin yes it's a wonderful cast recording yeah. as is Charlie Girl yes um, yeah and I think fabulous genes too it's probably um, one of the first examples I, I Think they were both produced by Ken Brodziak, yeah. But putting in, um, you know, rock star casting, you know, uh, big star casting mm-hmm. to, to pull in um, an audience. Yeah, well, he was our king of pop, wasn't he back then? I mm. guess. And uh, mm. yeah, I, I saw Pippin. I saw that. Mum took me to to pretty much everything that came about, and uh, yeah, it had a great influence on me. And uh, always, I'll always be grateful for that. It just gave me. A love that I haven't lost, even though I'm not performing any longer. I haven't lost that love for, for theatre. I love watching it. So valuable, isn't it? Yeah, oh, I hear yeah. it many, many times during these conversations. But to, to have that, the support of parents who sacrificed so much to enable you to, to realise your dreams. Yes, yeah, yeah. completely. Mm. So finishing secondary school, did you think about, you know, uh, maybe I need to go off to NIDA or... VCA or... Yeah, I, actually, I rang um, NIDA. <laughs> I was, what, 15? And they said, you're a bit young. Yeah. Maybe come back when you're 18. But 
of course, by the time I was 18, I had done, you know, three shows and um, I was off and running. So um, I decided that's that's not what I was going to do any longer. Um, I think it would have done me a lot of good, but uh, might have given me a, a bit more discipline. <laughs> a bit naughty there for a while, but um, yes, um, it was uh, yeah not to be. But I, I did I did some um, some work with um, Hayes Gordon um, acting classes. Yeah, the ensemble, yeah, yeah, and. Um, that was a that was a big deal for me. That was the the first and really only time that I actually had a mentor who mm. was, you know, personally, um, you know, teaching me one on one, and it was fantastic. Um, sometimes it was a group class, but uh, he gave me a lot of advice, and he was he was extraordinary. Uh, yeah, miss him. He was he's a great great mentor. So, um, finishing high school, yeah. you're attending open calls, are you? Auditions? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, I, <laughs> I saw auditions in the paper. Um, I remember once going to... Um, I was heading off on the train and heading in the wrong direction to the city and saw an audition for hair at St. George Leagues. Um, it was a, a Jim McDonald production. Good old Jim, and uh, I just hopped off the train, went the other direction into the city. I didn't even have any music with me, and auditioned and got the show, got into hair, which was fantastic grounding because I had these beautiful people um, like um, Trevor, Trevor White, who is still a friend, um, lovely bloke, and he's been you know very instrumental in my career. Chuck McKinney was in that as well, you know, good old Chuck. Um, he was incredible. So that was your first so, pro gig. It was, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Um, uh, Christopher Pate was in that as well. Right. Yeah, so I understudied Kit, and um, that was a fantastic experience because I, it, it got me kind of out of the the mentality mentality that I'd grown up with, and um, just kind of opened my mind to. I sound like a drug addict, um, <laughs> but it opened my mind to a, a bigger world, and um, yeah, I could start to see what was on offer, and and yeah, really wanted it, really wanted to chase it. Here was your gateway show. Gateway show, yeah, oh, I yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, did you understand that there was a bit of uh, you know you had to get the get the, the gear off? Yeah, got a good story of that. that. I don't know. I don't know if you can put it to air, <laughs> but. Um, my dad wanted to speak to me, and I was terrified because I thought, "Oh, what's this going to be about?" That was, that was a hard ass, fabulous man. Uh, he said, "I want to talk to your son. I've got some uh, important advice." And I said, "Oh, here we, here we go." <laughs> he said, "It's that nude scene," and I went, "Oh, he's not going to let me do the show." But uh, that wasn't the case. He just said, "Whatever you do." As I said, this might be appropriate. This is whatever you do. Anything's appropriate. Oh, really? Whatever you do, don't stand next to the black men. (laughs) (laughs) I went, oh, okay, Dad. Had no idea what he meant. But I did when we had the undress rehearsal because I was standing next to Chuck McKinney. And yes, I repositioned myself. (laughs) (laughs) Because, good Lord. Yeah. Apparently it's 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 not a story. It's it's true. After, 
I've spoken to a few fellas who've been uh, in here in, during yeah. their career, and there's a lot of preparation uh, leading yes. into. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, into. yes. But uh, yeah, that was it was liberating. It was fabulous. I, mm. I kind of liked it actually. It was it was a good way of me just getting rid of. Um, well, you know, not shitting clothes. You, you know, it's a bit like a like a flower kind of opening up. It it just it got rid of a lot of inhibitions and um, yeah, I, I'm glad that it was first show up that that's what happened. Mm. Yeah, you uh, you can take on anything and, and uh, achieve well, you can it after then. that after getting your gear off and having people stare at you. You're willing. Um, yeah, you can. <laughs> you I can do know, anything. I don't know about you, but I'm getting bloody hot yeah, in this car. Yeah. I'm gonna. We're gonna put the windows down a little bit more. So um, that's that's Let's put them down completely. That's much there better. We go. Yeah, no, yeah. that's good. So Get some uh, of that uh, Gold Coast sunshine. Love the Gold Coast sunshine. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna start doing these interviews in cars. It's, it's terrific. Yeah. <laughs> Comfy. Um, Oklahoma. Now that was um, big Cameron Macintosh uh, revival that was brought out to yes. to Australia, starring yes. John Dietrich, who'd had a big hit with it yeah, uh, in the, the West, West End. End. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, and and over over breakfast this morning, I hadn't realised that you were, were chiefly first and foremost a dancer. Yes, I was in the ballet chorus of all things. Um, wasn't quite up to the uh, the standard of. My, my fellow dancers in the ballet chorus, uh, because they were all dropping names like uh, the the Festival Ballet of London and um, uh, the um, the London Royal Ballet, the Australian Ballet. So um, when I was asked <laughs> when my training was done, I just thought, oh, I'll just put it out there, and uh, I said the Parramatta Royal Ballet Company and uh, Cameron Mackintosh was was actually there at at the time and he said sorry Parramatta (laughs) and he thought Parramatta was a very funny word guess it is in some ways and uh, I said yeah it doesn't really exist but uh, yeah you know got to drop some sort of name don't I and uh, he he just found that hysterical that uh, there was there wasn't a Parramatta Royal uh, Royal Ballet Company but uh, yeah that was that was my claim to fame after that it was uh, constantly talked about as being a thing, this Parramatta Royal Ballet Company. But it was just a scout hall in Parramatta. Yeah. yeah. A, a couple of shows under your belt yeah. um, here and uh, Oklahoma. Uh, <coughs> what about representation? Are you having to need to find an agent around yeah, this time? Yeah, well, I met the beautiful Penny Williams um, during um, during Superstar. She was actually working uh, wardrobe. Um, in that show, so she's what a what a girl. She was doing um, the agent work, agency work at um, you know in the daytime and at night. She was um, yeah, she was doing our wardrobe. So um, Trevor said, "Penny's an agent. She'll represent you." <laughs> Putting her on the spot, and she said, "Yep, sure I will." And that was it. I was with Penny my whole entire career. Yeah, amazing. Um, so, so many. I hear from so many performers also who have were with Penny, yeah. and yes, it was the entire career. Mm. Um, yeah. So she was fabulous. Yeah, she really was. Quite yeah. unique, one of a kind. I mean, oh, once, you met, yeah. <laughs> once you met Penny, you never yeah, forgot her. Yeah, you never yeah. forgot her. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a beautiful, 
a beautiful lady who's no longer with us, and uh, I've got a lot to thank her for. She gave me some great advice and um, looked after me. Man. Guys and dolls. Um, yeah. You're working with some stellar performers from you know the, the years of J.C. Williamson. And, yes. And also wonderful talents like Ricky May. Yeah. Oh, Ricky was just phenomenal. He was incredible. Yeah. He was he was the the glue for that company and. Um, We've had um, subsequently um, had u- reunions of casts, remaining casts. We've lost a lot of the the cast, unfortunately, over the years. But um, uh, Ricky, Ricky really made the company a very social one. Oh, there's a million stories, too many to mention with with Ricky. But uh, yeah, there, there was. I remember one occasion where um, we all went out. And uh, he did a shout, and we all got some champagne. And um, he heard from a friend. <laughs> There's always people calling him and um, or, or telling him about uh, a gig that might be on. And I remember him. He just bought all of the, not just the champagnes, but he said, "How much for the glasses?" Because <laughs> we were going to go takeaway and and go to this gig, <laughs> um, in, in which of course he'd always get you um, to to sing. Um, if if you're, you know, um, of of that um, of that talent, I wasn't particularly confident. I don't think at that stage, even though I'd done Superstar and played, I was playing Peter and I understudied Trevor. I don't think that was really my expertise at that stage. I really felt more comfortable dancing. But right. I think Ricky picked up on that, and he, I've got a lot to thank him for because he he not only got. Us a, a, a band gig. This is with Sid Hale and Junior, Wayne Scott Kermond. You know, just a. I think we called ourselves the Bad Band because we were bad. <laughs> but he got a. <laughs> we're bad. Um, he got us a fantastic gig down in Melbourne on the on the Yarra. But after Guys and Dolls, he got me a, a show um, through his wife, Colleen. Um, a show in Japan. So I went to Japan for a year, um, performing over there, and that honed my singing skills. I didn't dance after that. I just sang and, and acted. So, um, I mean, there's always movement or some type of dancing, I suppose, in most musicals. But, no, this was uh, it was a definite change of, um, I suppose, uh, focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you uh, pick up a <coughs> pick up a, a singing teacher around about that time? Or? Uh, yeah, I uh, I end up doing work with Don Graydon, the fabulous Don Graydon, who I mentioned before had the biggest sausage fingers you've ever seen. So he, you know, one finger would cross over to you know two notes. So he played terribly. Um, so I, I never enjoyed his accompaniment, but. Uh, Wow, he could get a sound out of you, and I, I changed my sound for when I went and got my own uh, own band. I've skipped a few shows now, but um, when I put together Meatballs, Fat Out of Hell, which is a piss take of, of Meatloaf's um, album, of course, Fat Out of Hell, and um, Don Don was crucial to that because I had to really change my sound. I was working smoky venues and uh, singing an awful lot, not doing a two-hour show. Um, it could have torn my voice to shreds, but 
didn't because I had this fabulous singing teacher who just, oh, he was so clever. Really, really clever man. Very clever man. You, I've always admired you because you're a great mimic. <laughs> Does that come into the fore with, with your, your Fat Out of Hell show? I mean, were you trying to um, impersonate Meatloaf or were you giving your own interpretation? No, I was trying to do a sound-alike and be um, faithful to the music, to, to Steinman's music, because I'm a big fan, I'm a massive fan. The sirens are screaming and the flowers are howling way down in the valley tonight. Oh, there's a man in the shadows with a gun in his eye and a red shining so bright. There's evil in the air, there's thunder in the sky and our killers on the blow shot streets. Oh, and down in the tunnel where the deadly arise and the west where I saw a young boy down in the gutter, he was stunned up all in the heat. And um, I actually got to, to interview Meatloaf, people like this actually. In a car? Uh, <laughs> well, not in a car, but <laughs> <laughs> minus the car. But um, yeah, just one-on-one um, for On The Street magazine back in the day. It was 91, 92. Mm. And um, I found the tape the other day, so I must I must get you a copy. Yeah, that'd be great. But it's it's, it, it's fabulous. It's really yeah. great. And uh, he was a beautiful guy, really nice man. And it's where I learnt um, there was there was two meatloaves. Well, there was Michael, um, which was just him being normal, and this character that he played, meatloaf. And yeah, that was that was fascinating, and all about the red scarf, why he had the scarf, and um, you know someone had come up to him because he was sweating like a pig when he was just him and Jim Steinman at the piano going through songs that would end up being on the Bad Out of Hell album so he's just testing it out in a bar and um, she came up with the red scarf and went oh my god you're so hot and sweaty you can keep that I know she wouldn't want it back (laughs) he was a sweaty guy but we've we've lost both of them now so it's it's, yeah it's um, something I would love to have gone back and and done again but I'm, I'm not able to do that right mm. uh, terribly sad that last public performance in Australia oh, I think of Meatloaf yeah. at the the grand final had a killer career in 10 minutes yeah, yeah. yeah. Ha- had he lost it or was that a, um, a a sound issue with you know his mm. feedback and no, all that sort of thing no 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 um, no uh, the other performances in the band that, that was all really slick and, and excellent um, it was just me I think he'd been doing poor work for a long time this is only just my opinion but there's plenty of evidence prior to the grand final of the AFL Mm. of him doing pretty ordinary work Mm. Um, I don't know if he had um, listening issues Mm. because the the guy was so musical and so incredibly gifted and you can hear that I mean on on the Rocky Horror picture show album Mm. Meatloaf's all the way through it you know he's he's doing the 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 chorus um, you know, he's in the, all the chorus uh, vocals. Um, of course, he's doing his Eddie, but um, 
it's a distinct voice and you know an in, an incredible gift that he had um but look he was an actor who sang so i don't think he worried so much about a lot of the singing for him it was a portraying a character mm. um i don't know if he got to the point where it was just not important the mm. singing wasn't important any longer i don't i don't think that was the case i just think he was he was done and he was having difficulty in, in keeping pace with the, the the rhythm of the song um there's there's a classic um hey hey it's saturday performance i've seen i saw it live at the time when it happened and he started doing um anything for love but i won't do that and um yeah the the backing was on a track so there's, there's no turning back there had chasm sultan pretending to play the piano um he, he's he was the bass player on bad out of hell so that was a bit of a giveaway too and uh, poor old meat starts and then just falters and he has to go back and start again but they've you know of course it's the track keeps playing on <laughs> um so he uh yeah he's sort of on the spot a little bit there I, I actually think he might have been a very nervous type he seemed um oh, what could you call it he was um he looked overconfident in the character of meatloaf um he was um just dynamic and his energy I mean that big huge body he carried around at the time mm-hmm. where did he get that energy like mm. it was extraordinary mm. so um, maybe that that helped uh, disguise his his nervousness or his um, his shyness or um, lack of, of belief but man when he when he delivered gee you know how memorable was that mm-hmm. really extraordinary but sadly in that 10 minutes of the afl grand final um that's what people remember now and that, that's really just so it's so wrong and it's really it's it's just unfair mm. i think Yeah. you did for seven years I guess that grew out of a need to create your own work yeah. as happens so often with many performers yeah um, perhaps the auditions aren't happening or whatever but you still got to put bread and butter on the table yeah well I actually left a show at that time um, that was um, lend me a tenor fabulous show um, really really clever stuff but um, I'd signed up as a as an alternate 
for the lead role of Max. But it didn't eventuate. I won't go into the politics of it, but it was like, okay, um, I'll be waiting for this uh, lovely friend of mine who was playing Max, um, Tony Harvey. Very, very, very talented. talented Yeah, amazing. Um, to to get sick or <laughs> I won't say break a leg. <laughs> I wouldn't wish that on him. But um, yeah, I just thought my time will come. My time wasn't coming. And um, well, Tony Harvey's very old school. It wouldn't go off. No, no, no. I can't blame him there. No. And um, as as would be the same with you. You would. Oh never no, go that's off. that's no. that's right. That's right. So I got incredibly frustrated because the role was just oh, it, the the book is extraordinary and it's really fast paced Mm -hmm. yeah fast paced um bullet like um responses so you know you have to be really on it i don't think i've ever had to rehearse so much um uh, in my life or my my career as that role it was really difficult and frustrating at the same time because you're not playing the role mm. you're just waiting for the time that you you know you you'll play it and you don't want to be lousy you want to be excellent so um just found that a bit much i've been swinging so many other shows previously and i th- think I, I was done it was like no i want to do my own thing here so um i, I toured australia they were about to go to brisbane and i thought no i'm done with this and um I just sat down and thought of doing a, a, a pub theatrical show, not so much a band, like with a band, but just I wanted it to be more of a show. Um, unfortunately, uh, pub audiences, um, you know, you get a lot of, just fucking sing it, mate. <laughs> Don't talk. <laughs> Shut up. So, um, yeah, they kind of dictate where the... <laughs> where the actual uh, performance or presentation's going to go. So it started a bit more theatrical and became it really became a band. But um yeah, Meatballs Fat Out of Hell was born in the in the uh the belly of the Theatre Royal in Sydney and uh left yeah, left Lemia Tanner and started the Fat Man and doing that for like seven years, so it was a great time. It was fantastic. Well, I made corporate, life corporate gigs too, as well. Corporate as, as well, pubs, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but mostly, the, you know, your corner pub stuff. But um, oh, yeah, we we had uh, amazing success with that, and I made lifelong friends with the the guys in the band. We're mm. still in touch, and I think they were hoping that I was going to come back and do it again sometime. But um, yeah, sadly, not well enough. You you've <clears> touched on the. Um uh, your experience as a swinger and understudy, yeah. um, which requires a really special skill set, um, a lot of patience, yes. I suppose. <laughs> yes. Um, and I know that you know, guys and dolls, you were uh, covering ten roles, yeah. I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. How do you manage that? What what is, what is involved oh, in man. in being a swing? Well, there were, there were four dance roles, so I actually found that easier than it was the um, the scripted roles where. I'll give you an example. When flu, because um, COVID's not a new thing, you know, we've had flus many times in shows, and of course, when it hits one, it goes right through the entire company. So you've got these gangsters, and there's usually these these ten gangsters um, that are being led by um, you know Peter Adams and Sky Masterson, who was um, Anthony Warlow, and Ricky May. Well, <laughs> you've got about seven of them sick, and um, 
the only way I could cover was to choose one character, so it's, you know, the one suit, the one voice, and the one um, characterization, but doing all those lines. So it's, it's like suddenly I became the lead role of Guys and Tolls, <laughs> had more dialogue than the principals. Than, than the principals. <laughs> it was quite funny, but I, I just had to deliver all these different lines of characters that weren't, you know, on the stage any longer because they were sick at home. So, um, yeah, funny times. But it's, it was rewarding. I don't know if you, you should do it your entire career. Some people some people manage, I suppose, mm. but um, it, it is very frustrating. Mm. But um, And if you do it really well, that can be to your detriment, I suppose, because well, yeah, that's all people will see you as. He, he's an expert at that. Get him to do that. Mm. And that's kind of what happened to him. It's mm. like, well, that was my lot. So I was pigeonholed a bit. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it can be to your detriment because that's where you're a valuable company member in that particular role, not mm. not necessarily playing a role that you um, see yourself as, mm. as. You know, so, yeah, a bit frustrating. But, um, you know, if, if you... If you're brave enough, you just get out of that and say, you know, you've got to learn to say no. Tell me about that uh, <coughs> lavish, iconic production of La Cage Fall oh. uh, in Sydney with Keith Michelle and, and John Ewing. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember vividly a story that you told me when we first met about <laughs> La Cage and what the management requested the, the boys in the show to do. Yes. Um, of course, you know, um, the Cajols are all... Um, well, they're not all men, but uh, everyone's perceived to look like um, women. But there's a few plants within that, of course, where there's some lovely ladies that were dressing up as cajels. I hope people understand how, how that works. Yes, and, but, and, and, and that was the um, the attraction of that original yes, show. who was a girl, who was a boy. Where, yeah. the, where the men and yes. where the women were. Yeah. Yes. So being a, at the last of the J.C. Williamson shows... Um, what it, uh, what we were uh, contracted to do uh, was to to dress um, dress you know to the max, and um, this is at the um, Majesty the old Madge. Um, it's now the, yeah it's now, no longer now a, um, not a car park it's apartments yeah, yeah, yeah sadly, um, but you used to come out of stage door down. Um, uh, just a ramp, but you still didn't have public access. And there was a set of stairs down to the right that went straight into the bar. And we were asked to, uh, whether you're going to the bar or not, to exit through the stairs. Um, therefore, meeting and greeting um, the the fans or the, the audience members that had just seen the show. And, of course, you got stuck. Like every night you got stuck talking to somebody. And... Um, yeah, it was uh, it was a real hangout, of course, for the um, the Oxford Street crowd, who were very supportive of the show. They loved the show. Mm-hmm. Well, it, was, it was about them, you yeah, know. It was yeah. fabulous, and the show, of course, was about love, and um, acceptance. I, I just think acceptance. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was way ahead of its time, mm. and of course, it's during um, the beginning of AIDS, um, so very very difficult show to continue, um, sadly. And I think that's that was the cause of a shortfall. But um, it still did a Melbourne season. I didn't do that. I I, I hurt my knee. I got uh, I had to have a reconstruction of my knee 
um, that I heard on stage one Friday night. And um, yeah, that was that was the end of me, unfortunately. But I did three months of the show and loved every minute of it. Fa- fabulous, fabulous cast, amazing cast, and uh, a fabulous show to do. Um, yeah. Yes, all those early J.C. Williamson performers that were in it, um, Tony Gapen and yeah, Jordy yeah. Morrow. Robert Berry. Robert Berry. <laughs> B, yeah. good old wonderful, B. Wonderful, wonderful characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we, so, so we all looked very smart at the end of the show. You couldn't wear jeans and a t-shirt. Mm. You, you had to, um, yeah, you had to dress like a sharp-dressed man. Interesting, you great. talk about the, the bar at the Madge. When I first yeah. graduated Whopper, I, I worked for about on about three shows behind the bar at the Madge, and it was party central every night after the performance because the yeah. cast would come out for a drink and some audience would stay behind. Yeah. And, and Don uh, McPhee kept the bar open. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was it was lovely socialisation for people, and you'd talk about what's coming up next. Yes, and, uh, the Madge is very much missed. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Because a lot of bars now, the theatre just closes down. Everybody out. Yeah, that's it. And that's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's very sad. It's changed. It's changed the way that um, we we socialise. You know, as a community, as an arts community, mm. um, we've we've found ways of getting around it. I suppose, like I know in Melbourne, you know, there's that pub up from the uh, the Princess that everybody goes to for Thirsty Thursdays. Yeah. I'm glad that's still a thing. That's yes, fabulous. Yes. But, um, you know, it's it's it used to just be done within, you know, the home of, of the show that you were on. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's a shame. With Cat Like Tread, <laughs> the Pirates of Penzance, um, is that the, the first time you get to work with John English, who you impressed so much in that original production of Jesus Christ Superstar when you're a, a young fellow in the audience. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing nothing like working with people that you've seen on stage and you've witnessed the magic of their performances. So I've had that both with Trevor White and, and John English. And of course Jack Webster who you'd seen yes, in Gypsy. Jack and Gypsy, yeah, 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 yeah that's, that's right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was um, that was a fabulous show and John, I mean he was the linchpin of the whole thing. He he was the show. Um no offence, Simon. <laughs> but, um, you, you know, Simon would be uh, in agreement. I'm sure. He, he was incredible. Um, John was so dynamic and um, a lovely, lovely bloke. And, of course, a Cabramatta boy, so not very far away from where I lived and, and went to school. So um, we hit it off straight away. And... Uh, uh, had a great time in... <laughs> he was very naughty... He was a very naughty, naughty boy, um, always playing tricks, always up to something. A uh, bit of a scallywag, but uh, God, I loved it. And the audience, uh, well, I guess they were in on it sometimes. He was uh, yeah, a bit obvious sometimes, but uh, yeah, wonderful stuff. And uh, I ended up working um, very, very fortunate to work with him again in Rasputin. Oh, yeah, yeah. And during that time, I was uh, doing Rasputin during the week, and on the weekends, or on Sundays, I'd go to his uh, property at Windsorway, and uh, we were recording demos for Paris, the rock opera. Yeah, that, that, that he'd, he'd written. Did, yeah, that he'd yeah. written with David Mackay. Yeah, and um, I was I was singing all the Paris stuff, hoping that, <laughs> wow, maybe it maybe this comes is it. production. Yes, yeah, yeah. but. Um, yeah, I didn't get Paris. John John Parr, the fabulous John Parr, ended up doing that. But uh, I was still on the recording with, um, you know, doing the, the Helmsman performance and some chorus stuff. But, you know, on the album, it was extraordinary. It was a, an extraordinary failure, unfortunately. But it was an extraordinary album. 
with you know the likes of um, um, Demis Roussos, Barry Humphreys, uh, David Atkins, um, Harry Nilsson. Um, <laughs> I've got to tell you a quick story. This is this is way off way off the mark, but it, it's just a fabulous story. Um, John says to this homeless-looking person and myself, look, don't need you right now, guys. Um, hit the pub, have a beer, have a relax. Um, we'll come and get you. So I go with this guy, this old guy. <laughs> this supposed homeless person. Harry. I don't, just, just Harry, I don't know. <laughs> Some guy called Harry. And he's, you know, he's American. He's talking like this. And, and you know... Uh, yeah, John. John and I did this, and he's telling me all these amazing stories. But John and I, John this, John that, and I'm thinking, I don't remember John English really spending that much time over in you know North America. Um, and I said, Are you talking about? Am I here, John English? No, no, God, no, 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 John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> I'd been sitting there for an hour trying to force a beer down at like. 10.30 in the morning, <laughs> so I'm not much of a drinker, um, and here's Harry Nilsson, <laughs> I didn't even know it was him, and I'm a fan, and I didn't realise it was him, because wow. wow. we hadn't had a formal introduction, he was yeah. just at the studio, yeah. and he's quite kind of derelict in unkept. some ways, unkept, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, he's he was fabulous, and uh, he was—he had a massive, um, you know, uh, massive amount of um, releases, you know, um, albums over the years. And I'm a big fan of The Point. Mm. I've always been a big fan. That's a children's show that he he wrote right. the music for. And, oh, it's wonderful! It's a wonderful show. And uh, he recorded um, he recorded that a long time ago, but um, I don't think it ever ever got up as such. Mm. But um, here's Harry doing all this amazing work, and um, it was lovely to be told, you know. Um, I, th- I think I could quote him saying, Man, you got a fucking girl's voice, man. <laughs> <laughs> and because uh, I had to sing all this high stuff as the helmsman, because I was perched on my crow's nest and yelling out, and, yeah. and uh, yeah, had a vocal, couple of vocal lines there that were, um, yeah, r- ridiculous. Um, sort of Mariah Carey stuff and uh, Harry was impressed but the, the rest of the time yeah we were having a having a ball it was mm. really great but I had I was I actually felt really uncomfortable with the fact that he'd been talking for an hour about him and John and I didn't realise it, it was John Lennon, Lennon. Mm. extraordinary uh, you of course have this most <coughs> most beautiful voice it's this legitimate <laughs> tenor um <laughs> Which has come to the fore Thank in so you. many shows, Thanks, um, but there are you know those those musicals that um, embrace the rock genre where you really had to get your rock voice on. Yeah. You know things like Rocky Horror Show yeah. and yeah. Bad Boy Johnny and the Prophets yeah. of Doom, which was a fantastic show. Great I saw show. that oh. um, at the well, comedy, I think comedy theatre in, in Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, uh, Daniel Abeneri had, oh, had written it and really yeah. pushed the boundaries as far as Whoa, yeah. issues of the Catholic yeah. Church and, and all say, that sort of yeah. thing. But um, that must have been fun to do. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah fantastic. Absolutely brilliant show. And uh, it just... It was... The, the, the comedy was the perfect venue for that. Um, I'd worked previously in the, the Magic Across the Road um, and I always wanted to do something in the, in the comedy theatre. And that show just lent itself 
um, well, sorry, the venue lent itself to the to the show. It was the perfect venue for it, and um, lit so beautifully. It was it was a real rock experience, wasn't it? It was fantastic. Great well, band. Yeah. Wendy Stapleton. Ah, uh, Wendy. Brian yeah. Mannix. Brian Mannix. Nadine Wayne Garner. Pygram. Um, yeah, um, Nadine was fabulous. Had some amazing people. Great musicians. It was it was just a masterpiece, really. Mm. It was Danny's masterpiece. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It might still have legs. I hope so. I, I hope, hope for so. Danny. I hope he's. I think it had a, a production in the, in the West End or. In, in yes. London, yeah, yeah. 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 He did. Yeah. 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 yeah he did. Um, Rocky Horror Show. Um, mm, Doctor Scott, and um, of course the role made famous in the film by Meatloaf, Eddie. Eddie. Um, Eddie. They're individual roles in the film, but it's a it's a double play uh, on stage, isn't it? You're. Um, well, it was with um, Terry O'Connell. We, you know, when he directed um, the first of the Rockies that I did, he split the um, split the, uh, the the plot, um, which made total sense because I was doing BVs prior to that, and then I took over. BVs are backing vocals. Backing vocals, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> and um, I was understudying. Um, let's drop that name. Uh, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. Yes. And, um, yeah, when, when Russell left, he, um, we were about to embark on a tour of New Zealand um, with the late and great um, Billy T. James. Fantastic performer in New Zealand. He's kind of like the, the Paul Hogan of, of performers. Fabulous, fabulous guy. And, um, yeah... Um, did New Zealand with the with the um, the split plot? So I was doing Eddie, and then going back to doing uh, BVs for the rest of the the show, and the fabulous and and just an amazing Rod Dunbar playing Doctor Scott, and it was just it was fabulous because we had an elder statesman within the cast as mm. well, mm. so it was great having Rod you know Rod at the helm and. and you know, making sure we were looked after and mm. kept in line. Mm. But uh, but you, it's it was, interesting. You were saying earlier too over Bricky that it's a show that um, really is serviced best by rock and rollers because that's they're, they're the vocal types. Look throughout. at its best. It I think it's become too theatrical. Yes, yes. It, it needed to be dirty. It needs yeah. to be dusty. Those original and, productions and, set in old cinemas and um, oh, fabulous. Yeah. And that's where it belongs. Yeah. You know, it really needs the place almost falling down amongst it. Yeah. Um, you you know you don't you don't have that because we've got O H and M mm. so O H and S O H and S sorry H and M H and M that's a fashion, that fashion store oh is it yeah. okay you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> yes we see how much that matters to me um, yeah O H and S yes um, I think that's killed probably Rocky Horror I don't I'm not sure mm. maybe it can get back back to its roots mm. back to its Jim Sharman days you yeah, know um yeah. that would be great that would be great yeah but it's, it needs rock and roll people because the rock and roll people are the ones that get down and get dirty and don't carry on too much don't yeah. take it too far but also don't take it the wrong way yeah you know because yeah. rocky's that kind of show it's mm. dangerous it's mm. a dangerous um dangerous characters and mm. It can get a little bit, as we've seen, a yeah. little bit out of out hand. Of hand. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you got to don the leotard and, <laughs> and lick your paws. 
um, in cats. <laughs> oh, good lord! Yeah, that unitard. Um, yeah, I'm glad to see the end jealous. of that. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to watch what you uh, had for for lunch and um, dinner and yes, breakfast. I in guess in China internally. Let's just say uh, dysentery is not fun in a unitard. Oh no! Oh, no, no. And you need a dresser to get you out of those unitards. You can't do it all yourself. Because you're wet, I suppose, by the end of the show. And it doesn't... Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, fabulous show. But uh, Fabulous r- show to do. I, but I'm Buster not a for fan. Jones. No. Yeah, Buster for Jones. Yeah, well, I think I think you've got the best role in it. Oh, totally. Growl yeah, Tiger. That plot. Yeah, yeah. Growl, yeah. Uh, Gus Growl Tiger. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. F- fantastic plot. Um, doesn't stop. I even had a little table just at the back of the stage. I, I didn't have time to go and get a coffee. Hmm. Or have a rest any time during the show. So it's it's a very, very difficult plot. But I just embrace that sort of thing, especially all the makeup changes. You know, I'm mad about prosthetics, of course, with, mm. with meatballs. That yeah. was all prosthetics. So, um, yeah, Sharon Case, the um, hair and makeup girl who's very famous within our, our industry. Hi, Sharon. Um, she supplied some extra extra pieces yeah. that um, you know she could see I was into it, so yeah. we end up going you know full bore into the into the pieces that were applied, and uh, it was it was great. It was great. It was just yeah. like perfect dress ups, really. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good fun, but a fantastic plot because you got to do your physical comedy. You got to to portray that beautiful fractured, um, fragile character Gus mm. who then becomes this um, bombastic um, ridiculous character this, this growl tiger um, what a what a privilege it was to do that that mm. was really really something yeah so when when comes the time where I don't know maybe you decide I'm an old fella, I can't do this anymore. Or the industry gives you away that I've heard a few times from, from conversations that I've had. When do you decide um, or make the decision that it's perhaps time to, to stop? Or did you? I uh, didn't have much choice, Pete. Right. Yeah. Right. Didn't have much choice. Um, I'm, I'm a diabetic. And, um, yeah, it got a really good grip on me after cats. Right. Uh I struggle at the end of cats with a few few issues, and uh, I just ignored them because <laughs> that's what you do. The show must go on. You're invincible. The show must go on. Um, so um, yeah, um, I managed to still work for many years, but because I was just doing corporate work, much much easier. I was just working the floor for 25 minutes, mm. um, doing the three waiters. And um, that that was a bit of a gift because, you know, much better than two two hours, um, and not the sort of plot that you know I'd been doing previously with cats. It was much much easier, and uh, it was you know and kinder to my body. And so um, during that that time, uh, post cats, I was just trying to find a way into um, some wellness, and. Uh, hadn't been very successful at all in regard to that and it's uh, it's caused me yeah a lot of grief and um sadly i haven't worked for a while now and um not sure if i will again pensioned off (laughs) do you miss it oh sure do yeah sure do you don't realize 
how much of of the the business is um, is within you and how how great a part of you mm. um, show business is because it's been my life it's mm. been you know not in my, not just my adult life but since I was a teenager mm. so um, yeah of course I, I miss yeah. it I miss the people and the yeah. comradeship and the and um, yeah I mean I've made friends for life I've got friends that um, yeah they're, they're they're my brothers you know um, the likes of you know Wayne Wayne Kermont um, you know he's my best buddy and John um, John Ma who I mentioned before yeah, before yeah. he's doing some great things um, yeah it's it's given me it's given me the life that I that I have um, it's been very difficult of late but um, my my memories are really strong and uh, 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 always with me I always mm. feel like that's um, that's something that I carry around it's a little bit like Gus really mm. I feel mm. a bit a bit fragile and and and, um, and uh, yeah I'm very sentimental these modern productions are all very well <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think I've become Gus that's a bit sad isn't it but oh, I kind of have he's a beautiful character yeah and, um, better but than I'm Isabella very... <laughs> yeah getting a, get a tire and shot up to the moon <laughs> Well, apparently, according to my young son at the time, he said it was the aliens coming to get her. All right. Yeah. That's what happened to her. Oh, apparently. Yeah. Well, that's all right. I, I don't... Yeah, He's I, allowed I, to I think, think that. Yeah. <laughs> I liked his plot better, actually. <laughs> it made more sense. Look, I think the thought of Gus just sitting around at the, the, the stage door, just watching people come and go, is is not a bad place to be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was nice. So, um... Yeah, yeah. That, that's 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 where we're at. Um, mm. But who knows? I'm, I'm I feel like you can't keep a good man down. So we'll see, watch this space. We'll see yeah, how we go. Absolutely. But uh, it's all about just being well. Well, thanks, MJ. Um, hey, thank I, I sprung you. this on you at, uh, <laughs> at, at breakfast, but I think we've done remarkably well I think we've in done a car, well too, and yeah. you know we riff off each other. Uh, really well, yeah. and um, it's a great privilege to add you to um, the the conversations that uh, I've had on stages. And I'd like to thank you for these wonderful podcasts because they're so interesting, and it, it's uh, it's virtually history. You, you ca- you're capturing history. The people, a lot of the people, are, are no longer with us too. Yeah. So it's important that you know, the stories, the information, the journey is captured so thank you for that Peter you're an expert at you're brilliant you're the right man for the job thanks mate good on you mate and uh walked out the windows and um yeah that's a wrap that's a wrap <laughs> I have to confess it got a bit warm in the car but we survived and recorded a terrific celebration of Michael John's brilliant career and the acoustics weren't too bad either I hope you enjoyed your time on the Gold Coast too Thanks, Mr. Plod, for the breakfast, for the memories, and for jumping into Big Ear's car. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time on Stages. Stages.